This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap for a brand new month. It is Thursday, the 1st of June 2023. And coming up, we get another chance to meet Robert Kinjits. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Well, no Sean Priest today because uh, yet again I'm spending the hour in the company of Robert Kinjit, the blind journalist and advocate for many, many topics, but in particular, one that really grinds my gears from time to time, and that is audio description, the lack of availability of it, the quality of audio description, our involvement in it, all issues that Robert has now tackled head-on throughout his career. And I'm so pleased to welcome Robert Kinjit back to Double Tap. Great to have you back here with me, Robert. Thank you for having me. So last time we spoke, we got into a lot of your personal story and you as an individual. And I think we all learned a lot about you, Robert, and you opened up so much. And I really, really appreciate you doing that. Today, I'd love to delve into a bit more of your professional career and a lot of the work that you've done, which I think a lot of us uh, should know about if we don't already especially in the blind world. You aren't well known in the blind world, but I imagine there's a lot of people who won't know who you are, and I think that they should know about you and your life and what you've done. And um, I want to start, and you might tell me you want to start somewhere else, but I want to start with audio description because it's a bugbear of mine um, in that you know I love audio description. It's the only way I can enjoy television. And even today, despite all the work that's been done, all the advocacy there are still challenges accessing audio description. And this is something which you were on the case with, especially with streaming providers, very early on. Yes, yes. I mean, way back in the ye olden days of 2011, um, <laughs> I, I um, yes, and then all the, all the youngsters in the audience would go, oh, my God. Gosh, he's really, really old. Yeah, he's but, really uh, old, like 2011. What was that, like a thousand years ago? <laughs> but, uh, yes, 2,000 years ago, actually. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but in 2011, uh, Netflix was really coming into its prime because we had just come off a writer strike of 2007 and 2008 and then that buoyed um the um that kind of buoyed the conversation for later but netflix was just getting into uh streaming at that point they were streaming um it's actually quite interesting but they were they basically took old uh, TV shows and movies that were left in a vault uh, somewhere. And then they decided that people actually would want to watch this uh, content that's not aired on TV and things anymore. So that's basically how uh, Netflix came to be. So in 2011, I... we here in the States have just come off of the uh, 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, which um, which sort of basically made it into a law that certain U.S. providers had to provide a certain number of audio-described hours uh in their content uh i can't remember exactly what the starting point for that was right now but i think it was like uh 20 hours to start off and then it would it, it increase as years uh went on i don't remember the exact number but basically 
So there was a larger amount of content that was on cable TV with audio description here in the States. And, and I was kind of baffled as to why Netflix did not have any of this content on their uh, streaming versions of the shows. It, because the audio description had already been created. It was already there. You didn't need to record again because it was already uh, mixed and recorded and everything. So, so I thought that was really, really, really bizarre. So, so I started a campaign, and we succeeded. Uh, spoiler alert! But, <laughs> uh, 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 um, but I started a a campaign. Uh, called the Accessible Netflix Project. Uh, th that has changed um, drastically, and and now I actually work on the audio description field. But going back to the project, the project was to sort of document the journey of of um, getting audio description onto this streaming service because at the time here in the states anyway there was no audio description for any streaming service whatsoever you had to really really hunt and really find it and um and uh but basically i i thought that this was posturous that all these tracks were just languishing in some uh, warehouse uh, somewhere. And so I took it upon myself um, and eventually grew to be a team. Um, but, um, but I started off by taking it upon myself to really look into why this was not happening um, and what were some of the red tape that I had to go through. And it was many, many, many years of calling and e e emailing and talking to producers, talking to directors and talking to executives to really learn what uh, what was preventing this from happening? But uh, to make a very, very long story short, um, so from 2011 to 2015 uh, slash 2016, I did a lot of advocating. And in 2015 slash 16, they released uh, Daredevil with audio description. And... Um, and uh, because of my advocacy, they they agreed to describe all their future original content. And wow! <laughs> I mean, that's uh, incredible, right? I mean, at, and at that moment, that was when things changed because you then had, I guess, from your perspective, you had the rear, you had them listening to you, you had them working with you, and. That was it because, and they did. They committed to every future original series being described. And I think it's so interesting you take us back to that time when Netflix began because I think a lot of people think of Netflix today as, and indeed all these streaming providers, as providing new and original content and having that back catalogue. But right. in the early days, it wasn't like that. It was oh, it was the right. back catalogue was their catalogue. There was no, no new content. I remember Daredevil. I remember House of Cards coming along. And that was kind of the beginning of the original series. So that was that was fairly recent. But, you know, getting that commitment was incredible. Talk me through those early conversations with Netflix, because I can only imagine you, you faced a lot of barriers. It was, it was, <laughs> wow. Um, it's it's why I, I I I I have gray hair now in my <laughs> er, er, early 
30s. I'm actually joking. But um <laughs> but um but those conversations I had to painstakingly explain over and over and over again the cost of of well not even the cost of 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 providing the audio discussion because remember I started this long before Netflix even thought about doing original uh, content. So, so at the moment, the conversation was just about why can't you get the tracks from uh, from CBS or or NBC or uh, or whatever. Um, but then uh, we. St- started to hear that Netflix was actually planning original content and I spoke to them like a business proposal and or marketing proposal. I said, if you guys really, really make a commitment to providing this level of access on your original titles then um then you guys will have exceptional market share because nobody else is going to be doing this you guys are going to be the first ones who are going to do it you guys are going to cap capture a huge portion of the market and i think that's it and i think that's when they really really poked their ears up and said, oh, this is interesting. Let's think about doing this. Um, Because that's often the challenge, isn't it, when it comes to advocacy, especially in this sense, because when I've talked to companies before about this, one question I often get asked off the record is, well, how much market share does this give me? How many people? How many bums on seats? How many subscriptions am I going to get by doing all this extra work? And that can often be a that can be the first barrier when you say, "Well, look, we're not talking about a huge audience here, but it's the right thing to do." Yes, yes. I, I mean, well, now Netflix is realizing that it's not actually just blind people that use audio description. You've got um, lots of people that maybe have maybe can um, maybe can. S- s- optically, but they have a face blindness. Um, maybe they're people that have autism. Maybe they are people that that are just too busy to sit and look at a screen, but they can still listen to movies and things as they're cleaning and and doing chores and things around the house. You know what? They they have to think about it like the way Amazon promoted Audible audiobooks, that it wasn't something that was for blind people. It was for everybody. You want to listen to Stephen Fry reading Harry Potter? Then great. You can do it in the car. You can do it on the run. You know, you can you can do this anywhere, and and the same would apply with audio description. And again, this goes back to the point about if you can mainstream this, ideally you lift the quality. And we're going to get into that, but you also lift the quantity as well. Yes, yes, definitely, absolutely. So my one project it spiraled into a lot of advocacy efforts that branched off. From uh from my initial work, which is okay. I mean, more the merrier. merrier. I, I I personally think that more people should become very very vocal about th- this. But um, but here in the states, it was really uh really interesting because when I first started off this project. Everybody was kind of like, "Oh, that's very nice. Well, I hope you succeed." <laughs> and um, mm. and and now it's the tone has changed significantly, and and I couldn't be happier. 
So what's changed? What what, what is the tone now? Uh, well, now the tone has changed to to I I will not subscribe to your streaming service unless it has accessibility options for me as a blind person. Uh, whereas previously, uh, people would were just kind of willing to put up with it. But I now, uh, but now you've got, uh, you've got people proudly, uh, calling themselves, um, audio description snobs. They will not watch, watch any program without audio description. And that to me is just, it's an outcome I never e- 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 even imagined. I'm one. Uh, yep. Call me one. Yeah. Call me an ADS. I'm an audio description snob. Me too. And, so. and th- <laughs> do you know why? Because like I said earlier, I can't watch it if it doesn't have AD. I don't know what's going on. And I guarantee you something will happen in that movie or TV show that will require visual involvement and I won't have it. Usually it's a text message goes by. How many times do they do this where they have text message conversations on oh, screen? Yes. And Lots. if you don't know what's going on, I remember my, and, and my favorite is of course, and, and you really got me on this one. Um, but I remember watching a movie once, which had really excellent audio description. The whole movie seemed to be based around a computer screen and the events on the screen. So not a lot of dialogue, a few FaceTime calls, but really the whole thing was kind of developed. I wish I could remember the name of the film, but it was really well done. The description was excellent. Until the last minute, I'm not kidding you, until the last minute where there was no description, and that was at that point it explained the point of the story. I had to call someone and say, what's happening here? Because something's happened on screen that's impacting this story, or it's, it's essentially telling us what this story is all about, and it wasn't there. And this is the frustration with audio description. As much as we love it, as much as we need it, as much as it's important, there does seem to, even today, it feels to me anyway, as if it's just not taken that seriously by the companies that produce it. Not all of them, not all of them, but there are some companies that just do not treat it with any kind of care. And that bothers me. You you would be 100% correct, um, because I am an audio description snob. Uh, nowadays, anyway, I am n- n- not at all thankful that I just have it. Uh, now I, I want to to evaluate the audio description writing, the narration, the quality control, and things like that. Now the conversation is also shifting from does it have audio description to is it good audio description? And that's also an avenue I never ever would have predicted happen in my lifetime. So now, look, I, I've I've been I've been hit, and I agree with you. I, I mean, this is fantastic that we're getting to that stage, and it does feel like we're moving into stage two, and and we'll talk about stage three in a moment because there's a another element to this, which is who is providing the audio description. And what involvement do blind people have in that? We'll get to that conversation in a moment. I want to stick with quality and I want to stick with quantity, I guess, as well, because I do get a lot of people who write me and say, Stephen, I don't like when you criticise companies for doing these things because, look, we should just be grateful for what we've got. We've got something. Now, I disagree with that personally. I, I don't think we should just sit back and be grateful for what we have. Because if you had done that, we probably wouldn't have Netflix doing what they do. If you had said, well, you know what, CBS do a drama, occasionally it shows up somewhere, uh, you know, Judge Judy is audio described, great, you know, that's it. And, and it's not available on demand, but hey, at least it was done in the first place. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine? You know, that, that would be nonsense, right? So you, you've, you've pushed on, you've pushed past that, and, and 
I guess you don't agree with that viewpoint either, that we should just be grateful. Not at all. Not at all. Because I, I've never settled for anything in my life. I've always, um, I was always driven and this reflects in my advocacy work. I want us to, uh, to just not be grateful. I want us to demand more and to become more obnoxious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, love it. And, um, and just make it clear that, yes, even though we need this thing, it still needs to be a certain level of quality. That just because we are blind or visually impaired, that doesn't mean that you can give us less because you think we deserve less. That is preposterous to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I see companies, and one particular company I'd love to call out today, which is the International Digital Centre, IDC. They do a lot of work for Netflix. Uh, They've done shows, I guess, on Disney, on Apple TV. They've already described lots of different shows across different uh, streaming networks, and I guess on TV as well. But um, I want to call them out because the the team there are incredible. And Eric, who runs the team, he, he is a huge advocate for us. He's not blind. But he is one of us, as far as I'm concerned, because this guy and his team advocate strongly, not just for more, but for better audio description. And I yes. love that. Yes, me too. I consider him to be a very, very, a very powerful ally. Um, also, hats off to Liz Gutman, one of the writers at yep. I. I- DC. She is she is exceptionally good at what she does. So th- that whole team, um, he Eric makes it a point to hire blind uh, QC quality control uh, uh, personnel, and he also makes it a point to 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 hire blind and visually impaired narrators as well. Yeah, and I I love that, although I will say one thing. I have a lot of friends who take on these roles, and it's kind of weird sometimes when you turn on (laughs) your show and you go, oh, there's Brian, or there's Fern, or there's, you know, and you know exactly the the voice as soon as it comes on. I kind of love it in a way because I think it feels like we're doing this together. And... You know, it can be very easy for someone like Eric to say, look, we'll do quality control here, but, you know, we'll keep all the jobs to ourselves. Why why give all this voiceover work out to, to those blind people? They're receiving the content. Why would they want to be part of it? But he totally doesn't see it that way. He sees it exactly the opposite way, which is we are as much a part of the production of it as recipients and users or, or enjoy, you know, the people who enjoy the content. And I think that's, that's fabulous. As we sh- should be nothing about us without us without us yeah absolutely and it's 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 so interesting because he's done he's done a great thing with idc and you know i I really hope he continues to push forward this and i hope other companies listen i have a feeling they're not listening at the moment and this is why these conversations are so important because we need to explain from our perspective unfortunately even today that we must still be in the room. We must be part of the conversation. Now, I want to talk a little bit, before we get into the subject of writing, I want to talk about that aspect of bringing blind people in. What was your first thought? Because I was a little bit surprised when I heard that, if I'm honest. I was kind of like, wow, they've got blind people in doing the narration as well? Not that I'm surprised blind people can read. I mean, that's right. I'm not surprised there, but I'm, I'm just kind of a little bit kind of, I suppose they call it internalized ableism, don't they? Where you kind of don't see what is capable for yourself because other people have told you for so long you can't. Right, right. Yes. I, I had to admit I did not have that same reaction because I know a lot of blind audiobook narrators. So, oh, okay. So, so it wasn't really that, that much of a shock to me. I was just like, oh, yeah, sure. It's just 
reading the script. It's it's the it's almost the same thing as doing audiobook narration. So why not um, quality control? I think blind uh, quality control personnel and even blind writers. I think that needs to be more of a conversation um, personally. And we will have that conversation, Robert. Just stay right there with us as we continue talking to Robert Kinjit, the blind journalist and also blind advocate for many, many topics. But audio description is the one we're talking about today. And that conversation continues next on Double Tap from AMI-audio. Connect with the Double Tappers on social media now, on Twitter and Facebook at Double Tap On Air, and on Mastodon at Double Tap. So today we're in conversation with Robert Kinjit for the second time and discussing the issue of audio description. Now, earlier we were talking about, Robert, your career to date and how you've been advocating for more audio description, but that conversation then changed to quality. And in order to achieve better quality of audio description, You've got to get more blind people in the room when it's being created, right? But the challenge is, how do you do that? How do you engage a blind person in something when they can't see it? I mean, the whole point of audio description is that it's described for us. So, you know, you've got to talk to me like I'm a five-year-old here. And this is a question I put into chat GPT all the time. You know, explain this to me as a five-year-old. How do you get a blind person to write audio description? Oh, uh, um, that is highly amusing. But, but <laughs> yeah, uh, sure, uh, sure, I would be more than happy to explain it. So, um, so usually when sighted people look at a thing like a fabric of clothing or or what have you, um, even though they're looking at the same thing, you're going to get about twenty different interpretations um based off what they it's a combination of what they see and what they perceive and, and what their background is um so uh so i decided to take that uh concept and i started to really think about how can a blind person uh write audio description and and it's the same thing with the the sighted analogy uh if you take 20 different amateur descriptions and and if you listen to the common thread of those 20 different amateur descriptions you can actually pick out uh key things that are happening on the screen you can pick out things that uh, that a, 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 a you need to know because this content is for you so uh so you would actually know more than a sighted person what needs to go into uh, audio description because you you cannot see what is happening on the screen so so you would need to ask more uh, questions of your your sighted assistants to get that visual picture, so then you can weave it into the script. Uh, that's how I do it. Um, I whenever I have a project that I audio describe that I write the audio description script for, I, I have about. Um, uh, three to four to five uh, diverse uh, people. This is important because of perception and everything. And we watch the um, movie slash production together. I take all, all of their amateur descriptions and then I mold them, them and craft them into a free-flowing, well, not free-flowing, but into a well-crafted script that uh, that transforms it into the audio description script that you hear t- 
today. So you're still getting the same information. You're still getting the same interpretation as a sighted person, but you're just getting it a different way. Okay, that's that's very interesting. So yeah, you're kind of taking all the elements then, putting them together. And, you know, because blind people, diverse people are in the room, you're getting lots of different perspectives. So instead of just a writer going in, sitting down, analyzing, and then writing, you're sort of almost focus grouping the whole thing, right? You're you're checking with people to say, does this make sense? Does this add up? Am Am I missing something from the context? Because look, as you and I know, that will happen a lot in audio description. Unintentionally, I'm sure, but it does happen where sometimes you just feel, and friends of mine have said this who don't watch much audio described TV, they'll say, I just feel I'm missing something all the time. And that's the mm-hmm. problem with the quality up until now, isn't it? That it's, it, there has been this element of, you know, it, it's a script, but it's written from a sighted person's perspective. And obviously there's another aspect here, which is trying to fit it amongst the dialogue. Sometimes there's only so much room to to put language in um but still even so you can still feel like you're missing something or perhaps there's missed opportunities in the audio to you know essentially shoehorn in some more audio in there you know yes yes because society people will look at a production and without really knowing our needs they will either consciously or sub consciously say oh well they don't need to they don't need to know this this piece of information whereas i don't have that kind of bias because i can't see the production either right yeah so so it's uh, so it's a really really interesting um it's a really interesting angle especially when you take Society uh, people and blind writers into account. Um, I, 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 I personally think, like I said, I think that we have a b- better understanding of what we need, uh, and and I uh, uh, agree with you totally. There have been times where. The script has been great, but I just felt like I was missing one key point of information because the sighted writer didn't know what I needed. Yeah, usually it's around characters, especially. You kind of forget because you're trying to remember and you're trying to retain a lot of information as you go along. And in a particularly complicated story, it doesn't even have to be that complicated. But, you know, most people, this information just goes in and out of their mind. But you're trying to grasp as much information as you can from the television, right? You're trying to pull all this from the audio. And, you know, you're kind of hoping that you're uh, almost hoping that your audio describer is a little bit like your assistant, you know, is going to kind of help you along a little bit at times. And sometimes that can be missing. Yes. And, and, because I know that the person on the other end is, I, 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 I mean, hopefully in the future anyway, I hope that, um, that when I know that a production has a blind audio description writer, I can feel a little bit more at ease because, uh, again, they will know exactly well, not exactly, but they'll have a much better grasp of what I'm missing because mm. they'll be missing the same thing as me. So they'll need to fill in the gaps for themselves and me as well. But yes, it's I, 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 I cannot tell you um, how many People with brown hair that I, 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 I had to keep track of, and <laughs> that is exceptionally hard. So, it is. It's like, is yeah. it the girl with the brown hair? Is it the guy with the brown hair? There's three guys with brown hair. Yeah, exactly. I know it's a nightmare. Um, yes. 
What about the writing? So you're doing this at the moment. Uh, what are you writing for? Well, what, what have you been writing for so far? Yeah, so, um, so I write for a collective known as Social Audio Description, and, and I write audio description scripts for a, a, a wide array of um, productions for um, independent um, movies and trailers and music videos. So at the moment, uh, we are heavily, heavily focused on the independent market because a lot of independent uh, filmmakers really don't know about audio description. Uh, so, so we feel like we are perfectly positioned uh, to tackle that market, whereas other people, um, they just have a lot of uh, work on their plate yeah. dealing with Netflix and Amazon and uh, and sort of larger uh, larger companies, but um, but in terms of what I'm working on, um, it's very interesting because I because we have paying clients, but we also do work that is in the public domain. So we'll. Without client restrictions, I could take a movie in the public domain because it doesn't have an audio description track. And because there are no client restrictions, I can just go to town uh, writing a script for this movie and, and putting audio description on it. And the best part is, is that um, it's literally in the public domain, so I don't have to acquire rights. I don't have to talk to major executives. I just do it. And you kind of feel with audio description that it should kind of sit above all of that across television, right? Because it's it's... So important, but it is something which, at its heart, is a necess—it's a necessary, but it's also something that we, as blind people, need and therefore should have access to. And yes, almost like it shouldn't become a—it shouldn't become like a corporate competition thing. You know what I mean? It, it shouldn't become a oh well, you know, CBS are doing better audio description than ABC, or you know, it shouldn't be like that. It should just be description, and that's it. it, it I. I, I could not agree more, which is why some of these um, conversations are are extremely um, frustrating because there is this constant uh, this constant battle over rights and, and and who gets them and who gets the right to produce the audio description track and everything when. It, my view is that audio description should always travel with the production. And that is something that we really strive for. We at Social Audio Description, we really, really encourage independent filmmakers to have the audio description travel with the production. So no matter where it gets uploaded, you still have that track. But but others in the space are not having, are, are, are very, very slow to having this uh, sort of conversation. And it creates a bunch of scenarios where you could have it described on Netflix, for example, but then it moves to um, Hulu or uh, or over there in the UK, for example, um, uh, BBC iPlayer or something. I don't yeah. exactly know how it works, but 
Well, a, a great but, example of that, right? So a great example of that was there was a show. I was in Amsterdam a few weeks ago. And while I was there, I popped open the Netflix app and forgot for a second, of course, I'm in a foreign country. It's going to show me stuff that isn't in my country, right? And there was a show on there called Inside Man, which I really quite fancy. Stanley Tucci, David Tennant's really interesting drama. It was a psychological thing. I really fancied watching it. When I got home, it wasn't there uh, because it wasn't on the Netflix catalogue. Anyway, zoom forward a couple of weeks. There it is. It just arrives. And I thought, oh, brilliant. Will it have audio description? Interestingly, in Amsterdam, it did have audio description. In the UK, it didn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, interesting. So uh, for whatever reason, I can't remember what the reason was, but for whatever reason, I was sending it to a friend of mine and he said, oh, it's a BBC programme. I don't know if that makes a difference to you. And I thought, well, hang on. So I thought, what's the chances? So I went into the BBC iPlayer, found it, and it had audio description there. Now, I don't know if you've heard of haggis in Scotland. Haggis no. is a disgusting food which Scottish people created in order to feel even worse about themselves. And okay. um, I won't even go into the detail, but, but when Americans come over, and I, I do not mean to sound offensive here, but when Americans come to Scotland on holiday, we always tell them that haggis is an animal. It's not an animal, but we like to tell them that because then we can tell them to go off into the highlands and, and hunt them down. Um, Audio description today is like hunting the haggis. It doesn't exist in most places. <laughs> and good luck finding it when you do. Uh, it is an absolute nightmare. Um, and, you know, you know there are these occasions where I, I used to talk a lot about Outlander, big TV series, uh, filmed in Scotland, actually, but more popular, I think, in America than here. And this show travelled across different networks. It was on DVD. Uh, and you could not get it audio described. And eventually, we got it audio described season one. Season two, no audio description. Season three did. Season four did. And, you know, we lost interest after that. Because you just could not possibly keep up with it. And it's that, it's that nonsense that just really irritates me. And going back to your point about having the, the audio description travel with the programme, I've had arguments made in this country that people here in the UK don't want American description. I've, I've heard this from reputable organisations advocating for blind people saying, actually, you know what, blind people don't want to hear you know, American accents. They want to hear British people doing this. Now, personally, I am banging my head against the nearest table when I hear that because I think I just want description. Now, I don't want anything we'll do. I want quality. Mm -hmm. But when quality is done... In the States, for example, I'll take it. I'll take right. it. And do you know what? If it's an American movie, it kind of makes sense to have an American voice be the voice of description. If it was exactly. a British movie, it would be yep. appropriate to have a British voice. Netflix do that. They figured that out. Yep. And, and that would help this. You know, I think there's sometimes, there are sometimes barriers put up by our own community and people who represent and advocate on our behalf. And I don't like that either. I think there needs to be, I, I th it's as simple as this. I think this is one occasion where when, when I talk about audio description to people, I say, even if you don't use it, just talk it up. I, generally, I'm a person who believes, say whatever you like, do whatever you like, be whoever you like, oh, absolutely all that stuff. But when it comes to audio description, just go with it. Yes. I personally, I, I'll just be quite upfront and say, I, I just don't understand uh, people that blind people th that actively disparage audio description i i no, just I don't, don't get it i don't get it i don't get it either and i probably never will so <laughs> so well, there's no um, value in it right it's not it'd be like i mean i'm not a big reader robert right i'm not a big reader i admit that and it okay. seems to be a thing in the blind community where people always talk about audiobooks. I always hear about books. And I, look, I am, I am pro-book, right? I love books. I'm all for books. I think there should be more books, not less mm -hmm. books. I'm all for that. They should be available in every format, available to you in whatever way you want. But here's the thing. I don't read much. But if someone asks my opinion on audiobooks, I will say there needs to be more. There needs to be even more effort put into making these books uh, more affordable to more people or free to blind people. I'm all for that. Just because I don't use it 
doesn't mean I'm going to talk it down. It just opens up so many gates and so many possibilities. Of course. And, and so why would you close the, the, the door on your own community? I don't get it. I want to ask you about uh, artificial intelligence because, look, everyone's talking about it. And there is likely to be an update, whether it's months away or a year away, but I think it will probably be within the year, that we see the capability of live video being able to be, um, what's the right word, investigated, that's the wrong word perhaps, but essentially you, you can query what's going on in a live video. So in theory, audio description could become, you know, AI-driven. Thoughts? I, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so full disclosure, I, I am not as big of an AI uh, fan as others in the blind community are. So, so just throwing it out there. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, I, I think it could become a tool that humans could use to um, to facilitate human creativity in audio description, I don't think it could completely replace uh, humans. Um, I I do want audio description to remain human centric because technically artificial intelligence it doesn't have life, so it doesn't have life experiences that that shape your humor or or wit or word choice it's it's binary so whatever training data you put into it it gets out but if that training data doesn't match up with your own life experience you're going to feel extremely disoriented listening to some artificial intelligence spit out a random gibberish that you (laughs) might or might not have have any connection to. Uh, that being said, I I do think that that it can be used as a tool. I me personally, I just haven't seen any good uses for the, the tool as of yet. I am willing to concede that my mind can be changed, but right now I think. Artificial intelligence is just autocomplete on steroids. Now, do you know something? I I totally agree with you and did agree with you up until ChatGPT or GPT-4 when it could start to investigate images. And I was blown away by the capability for this, for me to take an image, take a picture, and have the alt text essentially written for me for social media posts. And I did post a while back about this, but it blew me away that its capability was was such that it could investigate images in ways that even friends of mine who are fully sighted, they couldn't see the image that clearly. And they couldn't investigate that, and they couldn't describe it in the way it could to me. And I think if you take that, just that one example, which was a real, like, wow, this is incredible. Take that to video. And then add a year on, and I think we'll be a lot further forward than you think. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong at all. I have as many doubts, I have as much concern as I do have excitement about audio, uh, artificial intelligence. But I think for audio description, um, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a replacement. But I think in a live environment, in a world environment, I think when we have wearables on our face that we're walking around and we're able to look at something and query what we're looking at, I think that is going to be really useful. But I think there will be time when it could become something that could begin to take over. I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know. That's the whole joy of it at the moment. We just don't know where it's going to go. But the capability is uh, is impressive so far, Robert. I haven't found that wild factor that you're talking about so maybe that's my reasoning for just Mm. not for just not being excited about this technology i guess because i just haven't found that wow factor yet Uh, that's probably why i'm still very 
skeptical of of artificial intelligence and its capabilities. And actually, if I'm being honest, that's probably the best place you can be today with with your opinion towards uh, artificial intelligence. Be skeptical. Um, I think that's a good good approach for everyone. Uh, before we go, uh, because we're running short of time, I just want to ask you. Uh, how we can find out even more about you, Robert, because a lot of people have been going off and finding your book. It's available on Bookshare in the States, I believe. So a lot of people have been following that. And also to learn more about your work with audio description, how can we find out more about all that? Yeah, sure. So the best way to keep in touch with me personally is to go to my website, which is blindjournalist.wordpress.com. That's my poem on the web. Um, or you could go to social audio description dot com, and then you can check out our uh, collective. We are the first ever audio description um, uh, collective slash group to hire blind audio description writers i can guarantee it and we do exceptional work uh, for the independence base and pretty much any project that we take on so so to recap that's a blind journalist dot wordpress dot com if you want to keep up with me then if you want to keep up with social audio description that's social audio description dot com all one word robert it's been an absolute joy spending these hours with you thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck with everything you do which no doubt will be a huge success thank you very much yeah, thank you, Robert. And uh, don't forget, you can send us your feedback. Tell us what you're thinking about the show and also your thoughts on audio description as well. Is Robert right where he's going? I'll be intrigued to hear your take on all of this. Feedback at doubletaponair.com. You can call me as well, one 4567 Sean and I are back tomorrow for another Tumble Tap. We'll catch you then. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.